0: LifeBridge Online. I am so glad you are here with us this morning. Whether you're watching live or watching later, uh, we want to be a blessing to you here at LifeBridge and I am glad that you are here. My name is Pastor Chris and uh, our goal during this time is to bridge the gap between biblical learning and radical living. And as we say every week, this is a great time to like and share like and share and get the good news of God's word out to your friends. Now, if this is your first time with us, I am just so glad that you are with us. We're in the midst of a series in Proverbs 3 that we're calling Wisdom or I'm sorry, surrender wisdom's path to success. And we're diving deep down into Proverbs 3. And if you're going to benefit from what we're going to study this morning, two things you need you need an open bible and an open heart an open bible because it's not my words but god's word that's going to change you and an open heart because god changes people who are teachable he wants to in fact he'll even make your heart teachable just ask Him. and so if you have your bible and i hope you do turn right with me right now to proverbs 3 and then let's pray Let me pray for us that we would have an open heart. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are high and lifted up and yet you are near to hear our prayers, our cries, our hurt, our longings, our frustrations. Lord, all of it we bring to you in this moment. And I pray, Lord, that through your son and his word and by your spirit, you would Make our hearts not only teachable, but obedient. Lord, make us wise in your eyes. Give us an ear to hear, a heart to trust, and a will to obey what we are about to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well. Let me say 2020 has been quite a ride so far. And one of our members shared this on Facebook, and I just love it. And here it is, Barney Fife. I love Barney Fife, maybe because I was a security guard when I was in seminary. But here it says, what stage of Barney Fife does 2020 currently have you in so right there in the comments you can just look there and tell me you know say what number what number what stage of Barney Fife are you in I kid the uh, uh, people here that help me on a regular basis the Ruckles and my own dear wife that uh, when we're filming this uh, you know right before uh, we hit uh, video and start filming I'm four and five and then when it's all done I'm number six Barney Fife number six And then during the teaching, hopefully I'm number one. I hope that's what I'm portraying to you. But it's been quite a ride. And you know what? Sometimes you just need to step back and just laugh a little. Amen? Just just laugh. Relax. But we have a serious thing to talk about because serious things are going on in our country. Uh, Right now, the Lord is shaking the nations and he is sifting The church Uh, this past week, we all know it. We all hear about it. We've had more shootings, more injuries and more killings. And I just want you to pause wherever you are on the spectrum and however you view all of what is going on politically in the protest and the race issues, wherever you are, just we all need to pause and remember that these are human beings, fellow human beings. And we need to feel the hurt. We need to feel the hate. We need to feel and, lo- and lament the loss of human life. And then secondly, we need to get our facts straight before we react. So first, we need to feel it. We need to stop and feel the hurt and the life of human beings suffering. And secondly, we need to get our facts before we react. Now, on top of all this, we still have continued rioting, looting. We have businesses being ransacked, communities that are on fire. And through this, it is literally shocking and shaking our country. And it should. And we should be broken by it. Are you broken? Am I broken by what is taking place right now? God is shaking this nation, and He is sifting His church, and He is graciously and mercifully calling us back to himself because you know that God's judgment begins with the house of God. God's judgment begins with his people. Before we look out and and judge others and think of what God needs to straighten out in others, we need to look as, as believers to our own hearts and to our own churches. Here's what 1 Peter 4 says. Verses 17 and 18. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, with persecution, with suffering, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? God is sifting his people and he is shaking the unbelievers to awaken them to the coming judgment. You say, Chris, what do you think God's trying to show us? You know, I'm not going to presume to be able to answer that, but I'm sure it's many things. And I'm sure whatever and all that he is trying to show us, it's found in his word. It's not mystical. It's not mysterious. It's in his word. But I know there's at least one thing of many that he is trying to teach our culture and our church. And it's this, loving my neighbor. People are asking, who is my neighbor? And how do I treat and love my neighbor? This has been going on now for four or five years. You hear it in the media. I, I've heard it between the pews in our own church. I've had discussions. I have asked this question. And so God is trying to get our attention. And we, we know that loving our neighbor, I mean, it's, it's, it's just right there on the cultural edge of everything. Why do I say that? Well, we know that during this pandemic... Loving your neighbor has been politicized in terms of whether you do or don't wear a mask. And I'm not here to tell you one way or the other. My point is, it's been justified as loving your neighbor. But also in terms of the racial divide that is coming about or becoming more and more evident in our country. The issue keeps coming back to loving our neighbor. Now, I have all sorts of questions, opinions, convictions about what's going on in our country right now. And if you want to hear those, I would gladly share them with you on a personal basis. But more than that, I would want to hear your heart. I want to listen to your concerns and know what you are struggling with. But right here, right now, one of the main things that I know The church of the living God is being called to love our neighbor as ourselves. You say, Chris, how do you know this is one of the main things? Well, first of all, it's a biblical command. Uh, Most of us are familiar with Matthew 22, 36 through 40. We know that the second of the two great commandments is none other than love your neighbor as yourself. But sometimes we forget in Matthew 22 that the first and foremost command was to love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And then Jesus said, the second is like it. And the reason he said that is because the two are intimately intertwined to one another. Listen. If we claim and profess as believers to love the Lord our God with all our heart, then the way that is proven, the way that is demonstrated is by loving our neighbor as ourself. And listen, if someone or you or myself are, are proud of how we love our neighbor, but if we don't first and foremost love our neighbor the way God has commanded and love the Lord, our God, first and foremost, both are in error. And so we know this is one of the things that the Lord is constantly teaching us because it's one of the two great commands that summarize the entire Bible and what God expects of us as his creatures. Secondly, it's a cultural concern. And I've said this, and you know this. It's, it's brought up. It, it, it's in our culture. And people that may not even know that it's in the Bible or may not know how Jesus taught it are talking about loving your neighbor. And then third, it's wise counsel. It's wise counsel, loving our neighbor. Listen, listen, loving our neighbor is an essential part Uh, It's essential on wisdom's path to success. You're not going to succeed in God's eyes without loving your neighbor. And I say that because right here in Proverbs 3, in verses 27 through 32, we have some awesome wisdom from God on how to love our neighbor So if you have your Bibles open, and I hope you do, turn and look right there. Proverbs 3, we're going to read verses 27 through 32. We're going to go down through 27 through 32. And see if you can pick up the focus on loving your neighbor. Notice what it says. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. When it's in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow, mañana, I will give it to you when you have it with you. In other words, you're able to meet that need and you're procrastinating, you're pushing off, you're putting it off. And then verse 29, do not devise harm against your neighbor while he lives in security beside you. Do not contend with a man without cause if he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the crooked or the perverse man is an abomination to the Lord, but he is intimate with the upright. Wow, the challenge Now and always is this. Choose to love your neighbor in a culture of hate and violence. That's what these passages, these verses are about. Choose to love your neighbor in a culture of hate. And let me speak to LifeBridge. We as a church need to cultivate a culture of love in the midst of a culture of hate. Now, this is so important and these verses are so important. We're going to divide it up into two messages. But and today what I all I want to do is give you five berean observations i'm just going to do a little inductive observation for you because my goal as a pastor teacher is not just to download content it's to equip you in how you can inductively and be a berean that searches the scriptures for yourself so here we go five berean observations of proverbs 3 27 through 35 here's the first one there are four warnings about how to treat our neighbors in these verses. Four warnings about how to treat our neighbors. The first one, look in your Bibles, is in verses 27 through 28. Do not withhold good from your needy or asking neighbor. And then verse 29. Do not plan evil against your trusting neighbor. And then verse 30, do not argue needlessly with any person, with anyone. And then verse 31, do not envy the violent person so that you begin to imitate their violent ways. And so we have four warnings, and we're going to dive into them next lesson. But here, these verses raise three questions about neighbors, and it's this. What is a neighbor? What is a neighbor? Now, maybe there in the comments you could put down, what comes to your mind when you hear the word neighbor? What's the first thing that pops in your mind? Maybe someone's name. What is it? What is it that pops into your mind? Now, I think most of us usually think of someone living next door to us, someone living near to us, someone living near. Two to three houses down from us or in the apartment across the way or in the duplex next to us. Or if you're a student, the person in the dorm room next to you. I know I I had quite a few years of dorm life. And I remember the the person in the dorm room next to me was my neighbor. And and the one across from me was my neighbor. He's my neighbor across the hall. But the Hebrew word for neighbor, and it shows up twice. It shows up in verse 28 and it shows up in 29. The Hebrew word for neighbor is much broader and much richer than what we typically think. In fact, I've got a chart here for you to look at wisdom on defining a neighbor. This word for neighbor can cover three Ways It can refer to a close friend, so not merely a neighbor, but an intimate, close friend, someone that is close and trusted to you. In other words, it's a very relational meaning. But it can also mean a nearby person, someone you greet on a regular basis and even eat with. It's more of a locational or geographical meaning. In other words, it's somebody that you have proximity to on a regular basis, somebody you work with, somebody you travel to work with, somebody you, you interact with on a regular basis. And then it also means, in its most broadest meaning, a fellow human. Your neighbor is every human being. In other words, it's someone in any kind of relationship or any kind of contact I may may come into. Now, here in Proverbs 27 through 32, it's fascinating how the use of neighbor moves from a near neighbor, a trusted neighbor, to any person, and then even a violent person that you don't want to even be near. That's the idea. So in verses 27 through 28, we've got a neighbor who has a claim on your generosity and is in need and so asks for help. In verse 29, we have a neighbor that is not so much a friend, but they live close enough to you that they feel safe around you and have no reason to be threatened by you. And then in verses 30 through 30, 31, it broadens out to the broadest meaning of a man, a person, a human. Anyone who is a man of violence, another human being who is violent in his or her way of thinking, way of relating, way of living. So ultimately, a neighbor defined in the broadest terms is a fellow human being who is equally created in God's image. And so let me give you three facts about what a neighbor is. Three facts about what a neighbor is. First of all, a neighbor is a fellow image bearer. You see, if the broadest meaning is another human being, we need to remember, you're my neighbor even on the other side of the planet. Why? Because we are linked in our bearing of God's image. We have been created in the image of God. James draws on this idea in James 3, 9 through 10, when he says, With our tongue we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness or the image of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be. What's he saying? He's saying, look, there's a vertical aspect in being created by God that should play out in how we treat any other human being that crosses our path. And secondly, all image bearers will give an account to the creator for how we treat one another. So if what, in the broadest sense, our neighbor is anyone else made in the image of God, we need to understand that we will give an account to the Creator for how we treat one another. And third, think on this. Our Creator is always watching and listening to how we treat one another. The Creator is always watching, listening. To how we treat one another. He knows what's going on in our heads. He knows the motives of our hearts towards others. He knows what we write in a private text. But he sees it all. He knows it all. He knows what we say among our family in private. And then how we treat others in public. He sees and knows it all. And because that is the level of accountability then we better get the answer to this next question right. And it's this. Who is my neighbor and how should I treat him or her? Who is my neighbor and how should I treat him or her? And I want to tell you right here in these verses in Proverbs 3, our wise father through his son is teaching you and I how to answer those two questions. Now, of course... The writer of Proverbs was King Solomon, an imperfect but very wise and also a godly man, but a sinner and someone who was not sinless. And yet a thousand years after Solomon wrote these verses, one greater than Solomon, another son of David, another king of Israel arrived on the scene, Jesus of Nazareth. And he too taught us who our neighbor is, and how we should treat them. And it's found in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we know the story as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in that story, it's amazing because one who was a student of the Bible came to Jesus And he wanted to test Jesus. And so he says, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gives him the two great commandments. And he says, well, here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Do this and you shall live. And yet, like so many of us, like our own hearts, my own heart, this man sought to justify himself. He sought to have wiggle, worm to get wiggle room, to get out of that accountability. And he said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? In other words, well, you know, we got, let, let's narrow this down a little bit to something that I can do in my own power. And that's when Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, my goal here this morning is not to explain Luke chapter 10. But what I want you to know is that both King Solomon and the greater king, Jesus Christ, they both dealt with the question of who is my neighbor and how should I treat my neighbor? And so how should we do that? Well, next week we're going to get into or next lesson we'll get into that more. But for now, I just want to say we should love them as God loves us no matter who they are, and we should love them as fellow image bearers. You're human. I'm human. We should love one another, and we should love them as fellow human beings and never anything less. No one, no one, of any race or ethnicity should have to bear a sign that says, I am a man, I am a woman. That's not what God intends. And that's not what we want to be any part of as God's people. And so one way to just simplify how are we to love our neighbor we'll get into this more, is how one guy put it, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Well, that's the first observation. There's four warnings in this passage about how to treat our neighbors. Let me give you the second observation, and it's this. Each verse begins with a negative, do not. Why? Because these are our natural tendencies. I want you to see this again. Look at verse, in the Hebrew, each of these verses begins with a Hebrew word, do not, okay? And look at verse 27, do not. Verse 28, do not. Verse 29, do not. Verse 30, do not. Verse 31, do not. Five times, it's listed there. And and why is that? Well, we know from our last two weeks of study, previous My Son warnings that we looked at in this chapter, that the do not is there because our natural tendency is to do what we're not supposed to do. It's our natural tendency. You see... It's our natural tendency, beloved, to not love our neighbor as ourselves. This doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come naturally to the depraved, self-oriented, self-worshipping heart. And listen, just because we're born again, we still have a fleshly sin nature. Listen, we wake up looking out for number one. Our prayers are so orientated to ourselves and our tribe and the people that we care about. But the reality is this, we need to be warned. Do not, do not, do not live in this way. Now more than ever, listen, now more than ever, we need to be reminded not to be unloving, not to be unneighborly. And listen, we as believers, just like in the story of the the parable of the Good Samaritan, we who are believers, or if you're religious, this is probably a greater tendency for us. Because we tend to use the Bible, just like the man did in the parable of the Good Samaritan, we use the Bible to justify who is my neighbor and who's not my neighbor. Or... We, we overly individualize our salvation and we just kind of draw a circle around me, myself, and my own. And we say, well, I love them. And we don't love the other. We don't love the one who is different from us, thinks different, lives different. And to be quite honest, sometimes is offensive to us just as we are to them. Listen, now more than ever, we need to hear and apply God's wisdom on how to love our neighbor. Both Republican and Democrat and everybody in between and even the non-political guy or gal. Both people we like and are like us, but also people we don't like and aren't particularly like us. We need to be loving our fellow believers but also those who are far from God, those who are running from God, and yes, even those who are rebelling and having the high fist in resisting God. We need to be loving every ethnic group, every tribe, every people group, every language, every nation, regardless of skin tone. We need to love that person at work that you pray to God they would go work somewhere else you need to love that neighbor who doesn't take care of their lawn like you meticulously take care of yours we need to love that person on social media who drives you crazy and i know we can mute and we can dislike and and we can defriend but what about something different what about loving The people that drive us crazy. Listen, these verses are a powerful warning from our creator and wise heavenly father that we have a natural tendency not to love our neighbors like ourselves, much less like our heavenly father has loved us. We, me, you, Need to choose to love in a culture of hate now more than ever. And you know what? You want to know how serious God is about this? Look at the third observation, and it's this there are no opposite, there are no opposite wise traits listed with these warnings. There are no opposite li- wise traits. Why do I say that? Because in the last couple of weeks, we saw in the last lesson, there were these do nots, but there was always an opposing. Don't do this, but do do this, okay? This time, there are no... It's just do not, do not, five times. Do not, do not, do not. Why is that? Well... The, script, the scriptures, Solomon doesn't explicitly tell us, but I think in doing, being inductive in our study and being good Bereans, I think there are three possible reasons. Let me give them to you. And the first is this. The previous verses have already given us the opposing wise traits that we need to love our neighbors. In other words, this is flowing out of the three my son passages that we looked at for the last couple of weeks. And so Solomon says, look, I've already given you the wisdom that you need to love your neighbor. And if you remember that they were. We need an obedient trust in the clear commands. And you can't get any clearer than love your neighbor as yourself. We learned also that. We need to have a teachable heart to the Father's correction. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the Father is speaking to us as his people. And he's saying to us by his word, by his spirit, and by the circumstances in our culture, you don't love others like I want you to. And we need to have a teachable heart to that. Number three... We learned that making discerning choices according to the Father's counsel. I'm telling you, isn't it amazing that the last part of Proverbs 3 climaxes with this wise counsel of how to love and treat one another? And here's the second reason why I think there are no opposing wise traits And this is a powerful one. Here's the second reason. The Lord hates. The Lord hates these sins and those who commit them. You say, man, Chris, you're fired up today. That's pretty strong language. Well, you know what? There's strong language in the Bible because we have a holy God that is serious about how we as his creatures treat one another. And why do I say that? Look at verse 32. We didn't read these verses. Let me read verse 32 through 35. Notice, for the devious or the crooked or the perverted are an abomination to the Lord, but he is intimate with the upright. What's that thing? What's God telling us? He's telling, look, the crooked is not just some crazy sinner out there that's not you. It's you and me when we don't love our neighbor. We are crooked. We need to be straightened in our hearts. Look at verse 33. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked. Look at verse 34. Though he scoffs at the scoffers, he scoffs at people that don't love their neighbor. And look at verse 35. The wise will inherit honor, but fools display dishonor now i want to bring you back to verse 32 and look at that phrase an abomination to the lord did you know that that phrase is found in proverbs 12 times and you know where the first time is boom right here in verse 32 right here in verse 32 12 times And we don't have, I've got in your notes, if you downloaded the notes, you have all the references to those times. But I want to draw your attention. In fact, turn in your Bibles right there at home. Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. And listen to this. Listen to what this says. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans against a trusting neighbor, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies and one who spread strife among the brothers. Listen, you can't help but see the parallel to these things that God hates to what we are not to do in this passage. Listen, the second reason there, the the second reason that I think there are no opposite wisdom traits is because the Lord absolutely hates when we are not loving to others. He's saying to us, Don't forsake these commands. He's saying, don't do this. Yeah, but what am I? No, don't do this, period. Stop it. Don't start doing it. And in fact, more than likely, you're doing it and you don't realize it. You're unaware. Or worse, you're justifying your unloving attitude. Or even more worse... You're apathetic, and you just don't care. Listen, our Heavenly Father is speaking a strong word of warning to us as humans made in the image of God and us as believers remade in the image of Christ. And he's saying, look, don't forsake this. Don't reject my correction on it, and don't ignore my wise counsel. Instead, love your neighbor." In a culture of hate, life bridge cultivate a culture of love in the midst of a culture of hate. And the third reason I think there is no positive trait here is that when the Lord is your confidence, you're free to love others unselfishly. Man, this is so important. Did you notice? Verse 27 is where our passage begins. But what comes before that? Look at verses 25 and 26 in your Bible. Do not be afraid of sudden fear, nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence. Literally, He will be by your side and will keep your foot from being caught. Listen to me. Listen to me. When our identity, when our security... When our destiny is in the hands of the Lord who is our trust and our confidence, we are free to love others as we love ourselves and as the Lord loves us. So we've made three Berean observations. Let's make a fourth one. And it's this. Even though there are no opposing traits... There are contrasting consequences for wise lovers and foolish haters. And that's the fourth observation. There are contrasting consequences for wise lovers of others and foolish haters. And we're not going to take time to delve into this. I gave you another chart there in your notes. You can see it here. It's fascinating in verses 32 through 35. So he's not giving us the opposite to do what he's giving us is a severe warning in verses 32 through 35 by showing us there's two kinds of neighbors and two kinds of consequences to those neighbors and they're contrasted and so they're divided up into those who don't love their neighbor the foolish and those who do love their neighbor. And as you move through this, the contrasts are so stark and so vivid. Those who don't love their neighbor are devious and an abomination. They are wicked and cursed by the Lord. They are scoffers who mock the Lord and who will receive scoffing from him. And they are foolish and will be shame, they will be shameful before the Lord. They will suffer shame at the judgment. But on the other hand, those who do love their neighbor, they're upright and they enjoy intimacy with their God. They are righteous and instead of cursed, they're blessed by the Lord. And instead of being proud scoffers, they are humble and they 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 are afflicted for following God. And they understand that they will receive grace to love as they should. And instead of being foolish, they are wise. And instead of being shamed, they will be glorified before the Lord. I just want to give you two quick insights from these contrasts. And the first is this. Notice once again, there are only two paths in Proverbs. There are only two paths. Every day we have this choice. Am I going to be unloving or am I going to be loving? Each day in a thousand different ways, a thousand choices to either go down the foolish path and be unloving to our fellow human or to go down the narrow way that leads to success in God's eyes. So that's the first. Either, and I, this is hard, I know, but It's right here in God's word. Either you're a neighbor hater or a neighbor lover. And either you're going to suffer shame on the judgment day or you're going to be lifted up and exalted and glorified by the Lord. And here's the second insight I want to give you on this. Only those who trust in the Lord, Proverbs 3, 5 and 7, only those that trust in the Lord with all their heart will be glorified in the end. I find it fascinating that this is the end of chapter 3, and he always begins with the unloving person, contrasting with the loving until the very end, verse 35, when he flip-flops that, and he first mentions the wise lover, and then the foolish hater. You say, what's that about? Well, here's what I think. He's reminding us that we live in a culture of hate. And he's saying, don't follow that path. Don't imitate those people. Because one day, in the end, it's going to be flip-flopped. In the end, they will suffer shame. And by my grace, I will glorify you, for you have trusted me. And loved your neighbor as yourself. Now that brings us to the final Berean observation. And it's where we're going to pick up next time. On the rest of this message. And it's this. Number five. The heart of the problem is the heart. The heart of the problem. When it comes to loving our neighbors. Is the heart. Surrender your turf. To the Lord. You knew I had to get a T in there on what you're going to surrender. Surrender your turf to the Lord. But it's biblical. It's right here. Why do I say that? Well, Ray Ortland is a pastor and he wrote a commentary on Proverbs and he gives us a great illustration about this passage. And he says this Remember the scene in The Godfather, part two, when young Vito Corleone is driving down the street in New York, and the cheap hood, Don Fanucci, jumps into the car. I'm just going to slip into a little Italian accent. And he gestures around and he snarls, this is my neighborhood. This is my neighborhood. What was Don Fanucci saying? He was saying, this is my turf. This is my kingdom. I call the shots. You play by my rules. I have the right to do what I want here. I, I make the rules and I get the results by doing what I want. It's my neighborhood. It's my turf. It's my kingdom. And every one of us, listen to me, every one of us has a little mafia boss a little Don Fannucci in our hearts that says, this is my turf. And I do what I want. And I tell you what I want. And I will love or I will not love because this is my turf. This is my hood. This is my gated community. This is my suburban dream. This is My protest. This is my president. This is my politics. This is my Jesus. It's my turf. And you know what God's saying to us? He's saying choose to love in this culture of hate by surrendering your turf. Let's look at this chart. Everything I've taught. This morning is to get you to this point and set us up for the next lesson. And it's this. When you look at this passage, you see that it's a progression. And in your notes, in fact, I have these dividers as as dashed lines. And the reason being is these aren't separated silos. Okay, and I forgot to do that on this, so I apologize. But this is a progression. And so it begins... With the neighbor near you. And it progresses to anyone around you. And you can move. It it moves from the asking neighbor who is in need. To the trusting neighbor who is secure. Thinking, I have nothing to fear from this person. To any person you may encounter. Ultimately to a violent person. That you would want nothing to do with. But notice, we're told, don't withhold good. From the asking neighbor. Don't devise harm against the trusting neighbor. Don't be antagonistic with anybody. And most of all, don't become violent. Do You see, it moves from a passive putting off to an active planning in your mind to a verbal aggression with your mouth to a physical attack. And that's what happens if we're not careful. We are going to move in a progression to a place that we don't want to be. And so I want to end with that, this last part here. <coughs> I want, excuse me. I want you to see that in verses 27 through 28, the, the, the neighbor is saying this. That we are saying, we are saying to our neighbor, my turf... My resources, I don't have to share with you. Come back tomorrow because tomorrow I'll be someplace else. The needy person comes to us and we say, and ask in need. And we have the resources to give them, and we say to that person, My turf, my resources, I don't want to share. And then Verse 29, the trusting neighbor. We say to this person who's living near enough to us and feels safe and trust us. And yet we say to them, my turf, my rules. And what we're saying is, I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to do you wrong, even though you think you're safe around me. See, I'm going to play by my rules. And I don't care if you haven't done anything to me. I don't care if you feel secure to me. I'm going to get you. My turf, my rules. And then in verse 30, my turf, my reasoning. What do I mean by that? I mean, I'm right and you're wrong. Don't confuse me with the facts. Don't, don't, let's not dialogue. Why? Because I'm going to be antagonistic with you. Because I'm going to pick a fight with you. We'll talk more about this next time. But the idea is this, my turf, my reasoning, You're wrong. I'm right. End of discussion. And then finally, my turf, my rights. In other words, we are to look at the violent person who says, you know what? This is my turf, and I'm going to secure my rights no matter what it takes by force, and I'm going to go for it. Why? My turf. My rights. Yeah, but that's not your life to take. My turf. My rights. Yeah, but that's not your property to desecrate. My turf. My rights. Listen, this is powerful stuff. And I don't think I need to go into detail on how this relates to what's going on around us. I think you can see. And I pray that the Holy Spirit has brought the connection to your heart. We need to be wise and we need to surrender our turf in order to trust in the Lord. So here's my application for today. And I want you to think on this and take it deeply seriously before the Lord. And I want you to do five things. I want you to get alone with God with this passage, with your notes. And I want you to ask the Lord to search your heart and see if there is any wicked or un loving way in your heart secondly i want you to be open to the rebuke of the lord and being corrected by others and what that means is we need to humble ourselves before him humble ourselves before others and listen and learn third be teachable to the correction that the lord brings and remember look beyond the messenger and hear the message fourth Stay focused on where you need to grow and not where your neighbor needs to grow. This isn't about other people. It's about you. It's about me. And it's about where the Lord wants me to grow. And then finally, realize that we all, all fall short in this area. There's no one listening who loves their neighbor as themselves, the way we ought. Not a one of us. And if you think you do, then you have a bigger problem than not loving. We all need to learn this. I have in your notes, there's so many beautiful passages. You realize Paul constantly told his, his churches, hey, you're doing a great job loving, now love more and more. You know what his greatest prayers, one of his greatest prayers for his churches and for his disciples was that the, their love would abound more and more. I want to end with this quote by my friend Jared Wilson. He says this, You can't have too much love. You can have too much criticism, too much harshness, too much sternness. You can have too much anger and even too much sadness, but you can never have too much love. Listen. Surrender your turf, trust in the Lord, and ask him to change your heart and fill your heart with more and more love. He will do it. He is eager to do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you love us. You accept us as we are, but you love us too much to leave us that way. You want to make us a more loving people. And, oh, Father, your love has been so clear to us. It's clear in your word. It's clear by your spirit that makes it flow in our hearts. It's clear by how you speak to us through your word. May we seriously search our hearts. We're coming up on a very hard couple months. And, Lord, we, your people, need to lead the way by being wise lovers. And not foolish haters. Change hearts. Because it's what you do best. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Hey we're going to finish this lesson. And finish Proverbs 3. So we'll see you soon.